You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 36 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. Happy almost New Year's listeners. We kick off the ending of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 with an interview with our overlords, Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. Chris is the co-founder of the Archaeology Podcast Network, which started back in December of 2014. And Rachel is the lead editor of our podcast. So please join us in welcoming the cat herders to the clouder we know as the Life in Ruins podcast, Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming on. I know, Rachel, this is your first time on Ruins. And then, Chris, you are a returning guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was exciting to be asked to be on since I haven't had a huge role in the APN until really this year. Sorry, I was drinking heavily. <laughs> oh. oh, that's how this is going to so be. Sorry, I was oh, drinking heavily. Um, Rachel's got to edit this show, which is... Uh, yeah, which is really great. Yeah, how's that how's that going? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we want to start off with this segment by introducing you, Rachel, and and who you are. You are an archaeologist, and so we we just kind of want to start off this this first segment, like I said, with kind of we already know who Chris is. Everyone knows who Chris is on the APN. He's on like half the shows been on here before by the way uh happy veterans day chris and thank you for your service well thank you absolutely so rachel what was your inspiration for getting into archaeology in the first place really just like lack of direction in college mostly so (laughs) it was like throwing yeah you know like through paint at the walls took every elective that i could and ended up in an anthropology 101 class and i was like okay cool i like this so And I just kept doing it and yeah, ended up with a degree in archaeology. Nice. Yeah, very cool. Did you do any sort of field school in your undergrad as as part of it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I should be a little bit more specific. I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and my professor that I took one of my earlier classes with studied or worked in Peru And when his field school came up, I was like, cool, I want to go to Peru. And then I went and I just like fell in love with the archaeology down there. And I ended up going back for two following seasons in the early 2000s. So this was like 2004, five and six ish, somewhere in there. And it was just it was great. It was a great experience. I loved the field school. The people down there are amazing. The archaeology is amazing. And it's what really like inspired me to figure out how I could be an archaeologist in the United States, because up until that point, it was like academic, right? You, you go to school and you study to go to more school, to go to more school and then eventually teach students. But when I came back, people started telling me about how you could actually like have a job where you got paid doing archaeology. So I followed that route rather than the stay in school forever and ever route. <laughs> Yeah, I think you just described Carlton. Yeah, I was about to say it's a really, really fun route. So just abject poverty for a decade, and then you're just like, "Wait, I'm probably going to end up working at McDonald's after this." Not even in middle management. So that's, that's I mean, it's I'm not going. like I'm. It's not like I'm doing archaeology anymore either. So you know. But you are still engaged with archaeology content. You know, you're still in yeah. the you know public side of it. So you're still engaged. You're just not out there actively 
digging. Yeah. We don't need we don't need that many field archaeologists anymore. We need more archaeologists in other sectors of the field. So yeah, the public her... outreach stuff is fun. Hey, did I tell you you could talk yet? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, she she no, she's getting saucy now. No, she keeps her um. Nice. She keeps her toe in it, though. Don't let her fool you, because she did two projects this year. One with me at the same same client, actually. One in June, just for a few days, and then uh, a month long. She basically ran the field crew for a month long project in September, while I continued to, you know, do other stuff because I just don't have the schedule for field work anymore. And uh, so that was cool. So she keeps keeps her toes in it when she has to. Yeah, just enough that I can say that I am still an archaeologist. I don't do it a lot, but I still am one. <laughs> That's right. Excellent. So as our listeners have probably gathered, there's a little bit of interplay going on between uh, Rachel and Chris right now. They're actually in the same, I want to call it, would you call an RV a domicile or <laughs> or just a vehicle? Yes. Yeah, well, a vehicular it's, domicile. It's, there we go. Yeah. It's the IRS it's our, is listening to us. excellent and that is because you two are married so rachel we wanted to ask like how you met chris webster and how did uh you get roped into this entire circus that is the archaeology podcast network mostly not by choice but no (laughs) i met him (laughs) the apn stuff is not by choice no um i met him on an archaeology project it was i think my third project ever and it was his like second project i think so we were both pretty young and just starting out as field archaeologists and we were working in downtown miami which was just a really really cool site we were excavating human remains like all day long it was really really interesting and we were all like in this bubble together living in a hotel together like you spent all your time with the people that you worked with and we just you know we became really great friends and then we started dating and then five years later we got married and 15 years later we're still together so there you go that's a nice story (laughs) it's mostly good there's some times where like he threw me in a pit of mud and things like that one time oh well there's other stories we're not going to talk about them but yeah uh oh okay (laughs) (laughs) what what is like so i've worked in tennessee where it's just brutally hot what the hell is miami like doing (laughs) archaeology Well, we were there in the winter, so I think we got there right around Thanksgiving, maybe, and we were there until yeah. March, March, April-ish. So it was like 90 instead of 110? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like 80. It was perfect. Oh, it was 80. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It actually it actually wasn't bad. I mean, I, um, I, I think, I, Rachel, you got there a little before I did, and I got there in, I think, uh, mid-December or something like that. And because I got there in mid-December and I was getting paid like $12 an hour, I didn't go home for Christmas. And I, <laughs> me and like two other people that didn't go home as well, we actually went and hung out on South Beach on Christmas Day, like South Beach on Christmas morning, hung out on the beach. It was like probably low 70s and and pleasant. And we just sat there and it was really strange. They were playing Christmas music with like snowmen and Christmas trees on the banners on the light poles on South Beach. And, you know, people are wearing sunglasses and putting putting sunscreen on. It was very surreal. Plus, South Beach is a partial nude beach and that's where all the hotties go so that was weird to see on christmas day as well but uh <laughs> anyway <laughs> the um yeah and i think we were there much later than march i thought we didn't leave until like june so um <laughs> but, uh, yeah we were there for a while it was 
Uh, yeah, on South Beach until June. Yeah, I never, <laughs> never really left, to be honest. Yeah, so. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to get my photo albums out. Anyway, it was, uh, no, it was a good project. Yeah, Miami was interesting. So so is this, this kind of like a historic project dealing with historic stuff down in Miami, or was it prehistoric, or...? It was prehistoric and it was just really cool because it was, uh, there were these solution holes. That's what they were called. Solution holes down through the, the bedrock there. And, and yeah, Chris, what you were working in like the well part too, right? Mm -hmm. Like what was, I can't really remember what was going on with that, but we were just pulling up bones and fragments of bones. And at one point, like a full like skull that was attached to the top of the spinal column. And like, there was just, there's just bones everywhere. And I think some, most of it was Native American. Was it um, Seminole? And, uh, it was Tequesta. No. Okay. Yeah, Tequesta. Pretty Seminole. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I think there might have been some like colonial settlement stuff going on there too, but it was all mixed together. So it was really hard to know what was what. Yeah. So the, the crazy thing about this site was it it was the last like empty lot in downtown Miami. Now it's high rise hotel room and, and, or condos or something. I don't know. It's crazy, but it was the last like undeveloped empty lot in downtown Miami. And I don't know why it stayed empty for so long, but the last thing that was there was the Flagler hotel in the 1930s and it burned down. It was up for a while. Then it burned down. And after that, it was a parking lot for, you know, 80 years. And, Hmm. Across the river, so the Miami River comes in right just south of where this site is. I mean, like just a few hundred feet south of where this site is and enters into the intercoastal waterway. On the other side of the Miami River, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Miami Circle. It was like a um, these limestone solution holes that were that were augered out in, in a pattern, a circle pattern, and post holes were dug, where posts were put there, and then platforms built on top of those, or at least... I don't know how much evidence there is towards that. I think that's the conjecture. Like that's what we think. Cause the only thing that remains really is the limestone solution holes. And I don't honestly know the details of the Miami circle, but from what I understand, the Tequesta Indians would leave their dead on these platforms, these wooden platforms, and they would just desiccate being, you know, they'd, be eaten by animals, you know, whatever the case may be, they would just let nature take its course with their dead on these, on these things. And then after a certain period of time, they would gather up the bones that remained, the really disarticulated remains at this point, float them across. They would go across the Miami river to this natural well, which is where we were digging and then basically dump them in the well in these limestone solution holes. And we found evidence of sea turtle shells that had burn marks on the side of them. Like they were using old like dead sea turtle shells just the shells to burn i don't know burn something in there and then they would dump their dead in there there was also manatee bone mixed in there as well and it was just a whole bunch of disarticulated human remains dumped in this natural well and at some point the Tequesta indians got moved to cuba basically from what i hear and by the people that were settling the area this was before the seminal even had their plight over there but the Tequesta were moved to cuba by the spanish probably and the spanish were all over that place there was a spanish fort on the site for a while back in the 1800s and they dug out the well they like specifically dug the well down with natural formation all the way down so we found um, presumably a little more modern human remains as well, plus other artifacts actually down in the well site. And then sometime after that, I think, I can't remember if there was a mission there. I think it was just the fort and then emptiness and then the hotel. And then that was it. So it's quite a, quite a crazy history. They say it goes back, you know, 
the artifacts and stuff indicate presence back 10,000 years right on that one site. So it was pretty neat to work on as like my second excavation ever. Yeah, that's not that's really not bad. Yeah, and my third. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how we lucked out with such amazing archaeology. Yeah. yeah, it was great. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, CRM is great. Let's do more of this. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I got a job digging, digging shovel tests in North Carolina, and I was like, uh, oh right, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you transition from like you know, you know, at like five o'clock, six o'clock, you start hearing clubs going in downtown Miami with like awesome archaeology to like the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. Is that, is that yeah? yeah. <laughs> Basically, our we both moved. Well, I moved first to this company in Columbia, South Carolina, and then Chris joined me like a not too far or not too long after that. And then yeah, it's just like those awful, like mind numbing, just shovel test after shovel test that's negative over and over and over, surrounded by briars, just misery, absolute misery. <laughs> There was a lot packed into the Chris joined me later statement because I had actually <laughs> left. I had, I had actually left Miami and I left with a girl that was there. Um, we were, I guess, dating at the time. By the time I left, and we went to a project in Colorado, up near. That must have been um, after Craig, I Colorado. rejected you. <laughs> so. So I made out with two women on that Miami project and I went away with one of them. The other one took a little while to come around to her senses. Damn. Oh, this I wasn't going to bring that out. <laughs> but so, so I left with this girl and we went to Colorado and then uh, we worked on a, I, I worked in Tampa actually after that. Cause her and I split up over the summer. That was a horrible mistake. And then, uh, and then I went and worked on a project in Tampa, which was another horrible mistake. Tampa and like the Lake Okeechobee area in the summertime is the worst possible thing you could do. <laughs> and and so I said, screw this. And I got a job up in Vermont and yeah, working for Berger, I think it was. Vermont <laughs> was change. amazing. <laughs> I know. I went from alligators and wild boars and just, you know, fire ants and, and mosquitoes the size of helicopters to mixed snow and rain solid for a month. Like I wasn't dry for 30 days. And and then near sometime sometime around that time in the fall, Rachel got drunk with her sister and called me and the rest is history. So <laughs> Oh. That was quite that was quite the story. I didn't know where we were gonna end up and then oh, you know, it was yeah. really abrupt. Okay, in well, my de- all right, in my defense, I had been thinking about calling him for a while. I had a job for him, so it just took, you know, my sister convincing me while I was drunk to call him. So anyway, there we go. That's right. <laughs> all right. So then all that happened. And then uh so Chris started the APN with uh Tristan Boyle, who I swear to God is is nothing but a phantom. <laughs> I don't know if he actually exists or that's just a second account that Chris uses to blame things on. Um, well, that's you, a good but, idea. <laughs> no, he exists because uh, he was at the APN Expo and he just popped up on the screen and he was like, hello there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you, you guys weren't there to back me up. And he just gave me this death stare. <laughs> he just Obi-Wan Kenobi'd you. Yeah, so you started getting more involved with the APN, Rachel, like this past year, right? Yeah, so I had like a 
regular nine to five full-time job until right before COVID started, actually, back in February is when I left that job. And then when I left, it was partly to pursue my own things and then also to sort of support Chris because he just has... He doesn't say no to anything. I don't know if you've noticed that, but he literally doesn't know what the word no means. And he just got to the point where he had so much work to do. He he physically couldn't do it all. So he trained me on editing podcasts. And now I do a lot of the APN editing for him uh, to help free up his time, basically. And how did he rope you into editing our podcast in particular? <laughs> I'm not sure I was given a choice. It was basically like, download this and do it. And I said, okay. <laughs> we are so sorry. Pretty much. <laughs> We're so sorry. No, it's good. And like from a technical standpoint, he actually didn't give your podcast to me right away because the more people there are on a podcast, the harder it is to edit. So I started with the ones that are just two people. And it kind of worked up from there. So I didn't get into it right away. But now it's not too bad and pretty easy to handle. All right. How often do you have to cut out Carlton's jeweling? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. I had not I did not know that that's what that was until Chris told me like last week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Look, oh, everybody well. breathes and everybody breathes at different levels, okay? So <laughs> just thought I was just sitting yeah. here just like <sighs> <laughs> Oh boy. Well <laughs> All right. Well I we kinda lost everyone, so we're uh we're about we're done with segment one anyways. We'll be back with uh episode uh, segment two of uh episode uh, 36 of Life and Ruins with our overlords. So uh enjoy these commercials. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 36 of a Life and Ruins podcast. We are interviewing our overlords, Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. And we wanted to start off this segment by Giving you a little, uh, Rachel, a little bit to talk about um, Historical Yarns, which is her podcast on the APN. So do you mind explaining, you know, kind of what it is? What do you talk about on the podcast? Yeah, sure. So I am a knitter, like a capital K knitter. It's my hobby. It's what I do. I design knitting patterns because I can't just follow somebody else's instructions. I have to make my own. And... I also, because I'm an archaeologist, have an interest in history. And I have another friend of mine who also has the same like background. And between the two of us, we came up with the concept of basically a podcast that deep dives the history of a knitting technique. And you wouldn't think that there would be that much history there, but they're actually very embedded in the culture of, in particular, European cultures because of... In a lot of cases, it was practical because they needed to be warm. And in other cases, it was more of an art form. But either way, there's so many cultures that have a really, really deep love and interest in knitting. And so anyway, we decided to investigate the origins of the the, the techniques. And yeah, so we only did one season. We haven't had a chance to do season two. COVID, as usual, has sort of thrown everybody off track. But we do plan to do more at some point in the future. So our first season was all about the history of lace knitting. 
Okay, because I do remember this was supposed to be a quarterly podcast. Yeah. And uh, you've, you've only had one episode drop in 2020, which was yeah. about Neanderthals making yarn. Yeah. that was in August. So there was a really... My mom listens to that show, actually. She really? actually she, oh she started knitting and I was like, you need to listen to this one. So my Aww. mom listens and she's been asking she's like i don't there hasn't been an episode and like, like waiting she for was season like, it's, two it's covid so she's like well i want i want to hear what's going on like where is it i'm like i have no clue this is not my podcast mom right but yeah my mom's a my mom's a super fan she likes to talk to me about it i don't know anything about yarn so i'm just like yeah that sounds oh that sounds that's correct. awesome that gives me inspiration to get back to it because my f- my friend heather is my friend who we were doing it you know, the podcast together. And she just has like other things going on in her life. She's got kids and a family and stuff like that. Things that I don't have because, you know, we live in an RV and travel the country. So. I mean, you've got Chris, but that doesn't count as being right. Well. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) No. So I, I will get back to it. And actually Chris and I, so the, episode that dropped this year the only one we've done this year was trying to follow like textiles in the news basically textiles and archaeology in the news because it's not common to find textile in an archaeological context because it just doesn't it just doesn't preserve you know but it does happen sometimes and when it does it's usually pretty significant so chris and i have plans on doing episodes where we break down you know things that have happened recently as far as textile and archaeology so we'll get back to that at some point and then hopefully we'll do a real true like season two at some point in the future as well coming someday all right excellent i'm looking forward to it and i'm sure uh, my mom is too um (laughs) moving this towards a different thread ha 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 um (laughs) i'm literally on a google page looking at knitting puns and you beat me to it i'm I'm here for it bring it on Um, chris (laughs) <laughs> Chris, we we brought you excellent. Well, yeah, it's a lot of it. You know yeah. this already. Chris, we brought you on last year as our introduction to 2020 and and the bright things that we were looking forward to <laughs> of the Sorry. APN in 2020. <laughs> and we and we told you then that we wanted to have you on every year to kind of summarize summarize the year, keep people up to date with the APN shows. And so with that being said, how has we've had a we've had a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. How has the APN changed both due to political and social discourse that has occurred since, you know, like January, as well as, you know, we've kind of alluded to already. There's been some drastic changes to yours and Rachel's lifestyle. Yeah, well, I think. I think just to, you know, talk about the elephant in the room here, the biggest change to the APN was the no swearing ban by the Life and Ruins podcast. I mean, at that point, the numbers really just went through the floor. People stopped listening. <laughs> they were like, what am I going to oh do now? But uh, <laughs> anyway, so we had that. Uh, otherwise, everything's been pretty good. So, so some of the positive things, we picked up a new podcast, the Dig It podcast. So that was good. There was a couple others we were actually in the process, like an underwater archaeology podcast that's kind of stalled a little bit. A bunch of things just kind of 
got put on the the back burner because of COVID and which really actually kind of surprises me because what the heck else are you going to do when you're sitting in your, in your house and you're quarantined and you're not doing anything? You may as well record a podcast. That's what I say. But some people just, they get too daunted by the prospect of keeping it going, especially starting something new. In fact, I have podcast clients that, that stopped podcasting long-term ones that stopped podcasting and now are just kind of getting back into it as they realize, okay, they're, this kind of is the new normal and we're just going to keep on going with that. I mean, I can really, I would rather go knit or, and watch RuPaul's Drag Race than record a podcast about knitting. So, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last six months. It's true. It's actually true. You know how many seasons there are of that show, guys? Many, many seasons of that show. More than more than one. So, at least five. More than one. So many. Than, it's yes. awesome. <laughs> so many. Anyway, I mean, we probably spend two hundred dollars a month on internet just so she can watch RuPaul's Bad Drag Race. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, so, that is um, garbage. <clears throat> that's what it is. So anyway. Uh, no, uh, another good thing that we did because, you know, the APN is is really, a, when it comes down to it, it really is a passion project for not only myself, but I have to imagine everyone that's a podcaster on here. And we have a number of volunteers. Tristan is real and he wrangles our volunteers because if he didn't, I'd have to. And I simply don't have time for it. And we have... I don't even know how many we have. We have three or four volunteers right now that I know that are working and then some others that are just like when they can have time, they they do stuff. And we have other people that are, you know, doing things as well. Like David has been editing the Rock Art Podcast. That is a new show that we started this year as well, around the same time as we did Dig It. And uh, Dr. Alan Garfinkel has been killing it on the Rock Art Podcast. He's It's a weekly show and he's got just a huge catalog of people that he knows and the rock art podcast has been going surprisingly well because I, to be honest, he's in his sixties and I was like, is this guy, I mean, I know Alan pretty well, but I was like, is he going to be able to keep this podcast going? And he is just, he loves it. He just gets into it and it's a good show. And then as I was saying, this is just really is a passion project for everybody, but in order to really keep this going and I want to have more and more and more shows, but to be honest, we just don't have the time for more and more shows, but I have a hard time saying to a new, a no to a new show because, well, we need more information about archaeology out in the world. So I just kind of try to make it work. And one of the ways we do that is through funding. Well, we don't, we don't have any like grants or anything that we apply for. This is technically run under my company, so it's not a nonprofit. So it's difficult to apply for stuff like that. So the only way we can really bring in funds is through realistically through advertising and membership and advertising is the the bulk of that. So one of the things I did was hire our first employee for the first time and her name is Madison and she has been basically working our advertising and she put together a whole bunch of materials and has been contacting people. And right about the time she was getting everything together, you know, the world shut down. So she had a little bit of a struggle in the first few months, but now things are starting to pick up again a little bit. And if we could get, you know, just a 30 second ad uh, in a few slots on every single show on the APN, we'd be able to really sell the editing. That's the first thing we're, we want to do is sell the editing, get that off our plate so we can focus on, you know, producing more shows. And then at some point, maybe even compensate hosts for being on the APN. And that's, that really is the goal. It's never going to make anybody a million dollars, but if we can, you know, clear a little bit while doing this and then bring more shows to light, then, then that's the goal. So that's pretty much where we're at. We, we keep where our numbers dipped a little bit when COVID first hit because people stopped listening to podcasts because they weren't commuting or going to the gym or doing the things that they normally listen to podcasts when they're doing archaeologists stopped doing field work for a little while for the most part. 
that's typically when a lot of archaeologists listen to podcasts and our numbers just kind of took a hit the first few months, but everything started to level back out and even grow again. So I think we're, we're starting to hit our stride again. Hmm. What are your uh, top three most listened to podcasts on the APN? <laughs> wow. Without looking at the numbers, I'm going to have to think about it. The Dirt podcast is probably the number one podcast. Um, those girls, they... They do a they do a great job. <laughs> they do. It's not a competition, guys. It's not a competition. <laughs> We're talking pure numbers here. It's probably the Dirt Podcast, and then I think the Archaeology Show, the Archaeotech Podcast, then the Sierra Mark Podcast, then the new one, the Dig It Podcast, and then Rock Art Podcast, and then. <laughs> Um, then there's some old shows that haven't produced episodes in years and they're still killing it with the downloads. And, and then we have a show that did like one episode. We have a show that did like one season and then they stopped podcasting and they're still doing pretty good. And then there's the life and ruins podcast. So it's, I mean, you guys asked for it. So we are the bottom dwellers. That's true. Let's be fair. <laughs> oh my god no you, your guys' show is doing is doing well i mean it's got it's got to be honest it's got all joking aside it's got the the highest entertainment value i think of any show on the network but uh, along with providing entertainment through your guys's interactions and just the way that you not only interact with each other but with your guests as well you also impart you know knowledge and and it's a fun and educational show to listen to and that's a hard combination to hit so the only reason I think some of the shows like The Dirt are getting more downloads is it's math, right? They publish every week. You guys are every two weeks as of this recording. And it's just if you guys were every week, you would probably have their numbers. But since you're not, it's hard to compare. You know what I mean? So that's just math. If you publish more, you get more downloads. That's that's how that works. Yeah, well, we'll try to we'll try to crunch the map here in the future. <laughs> but yeah, also thank you um, for saying that we're educational because I don't believe that all the time. But going from there, where do you see twenty twenty one for the APN? What are the goals of you know of this venture? You mm-hmm. know, where do you want to see it go? My goal every year has been to has been really twofold. One is to increase our our number of listeners uh, and partly through just advertising and whatever else we can do, not advertising, but like promotion, you know, and social media and stuff, just get more people to learn about archaeology through what we do. And, And not only that, but to learn about our website, because a lot of people don't go to the website. They just find us on iTunes or whatever their, you know, Spotify, whatever their player of choice is. And they'll go to the website realizing that we have nearly 3,000 episodes of content over the last, not just five years or almost six years, actually. We're coming up on six years as of the time of this recording. But there were a few shows that we absorbed, like my CRM Archaeology podcast that's been going for eight or nine years now. We just recorded episode 200 a month and a half ago. So there's there's a lot of content on the APN that people can search through and learn from and go to. So I want to try to promote that more every single year. But then the, the biggest really ongoing goal is to continue to try to make the APN self-sustaining. Um, anybody that says you can make a living podcasting is either Joe Rogan or already a celebrity somewhere else. So um, <laughs> it's just, it's just really difficult, especially with such a hyper niche topic like archeology. span You know, we, we have fans around the world, but 
it's difficult to increase it into the numbers where you're getting like a million downloads an episode, right? I don't think that's ever going to happen for an archaeology podcast. I mean, that's just a really tall order. Um, it might when we have 10 quadrillion people in the world, but you know, that's just math again. That's just percentages. But I think if we could get the APN to a point where we're, we're at least paying for a professional editor and we're able to use that money to, again, pay for the editor, but also bring in some other more professional materials, maybe, you know, revamp our branding a little bit and all that with the goal of increasing the number of people that these podcasts get to, because it's important information, especially, especially now in 2020. I mean, is anybody surprised that there's a second wave? Literally the same thing happened in 1918. I mean, literally, I think the curve is identical and we're just like, I think we're on oh, wave shit, three. What I think we beat, I think we beat that. <laughs> we have three waves. We have the original, we have the summer and now we have, <laughs> Whatever the hell this is, so yeah, I think you're right. Is this, is this like cod, <laughs> like zombie waves? Is is that where we're on? <sighs> right, right. Oh, I kill for an just, apocalypse just right keep, now. But anyway, just keeps coming. <laughs> so this is because you both edit our podcast and have edited our podcast. We also want to give you this um, platform to grill us. You know, throw shade. Oh no, <laughs> throw shame. So. Because I, you know, want to introduce this. Um, so we want to ask, what is the most annoying thing about editing Connor freaking Johnnin? Rachel? <laughs> it's like silence. My existence doesn't count. My existence doesn't count. <laughs> no. Uh, Here's what I would say. And I, I refuse to call out any one person in particular because... I think that everybody does. I already stuff. hate myself, so you can't hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even about that. Like the stuff that people do when they're recording, it's the same stuff. They all do the same stuff. They do it in slightly different ways. But the big thing is, and I think the biggest takeaway I could have for anybody who is being recorded is if you are unsure of what you want to say, that is totally okay because you are being recorded if it's not live. You know, live is a different story. But if it's not live and you're being recorded, just just pause. Just pause. Take a breath. Think through what you want to say because we can edit it. We can edit the crap out of it. You, if you want to stumble around <laughs> before you get there, that's fine too. But just pause and take a breath before you start talking. That's all. <laughs> wait, what? And I wait, hear, wait, wait, wait. I, I no, hear no. myself doing it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, no... Not, not, not calling anybody out, Connor, but you know, it's, it really is <laughs> just stop and take a breath and just go on. I, I stand by what I'm saying. I am not calling Connor out. It's just, this is for everybody, myself included. I hear myself doing it and I'm like, slow down, take a breath. You know what this is going to sound like when you have to edit it. So slow down, think about what you want to say, then start talking. Wait, you don't okay. do everything in one breath? <laughs> no, that's what no, that's what no, Chris does. Is, are we are we are we talking know, about right? what Chris needs to work on? Because <laughs> oh, the run on sentence, he is yeah. king. No, this is this is shut. Up. This is good advice <laughs> for uh, for future guests of the uh, Life and Ruins podcast too, because I know they're all listening. Because you guys have a lot of friends, and I'm sure they're going to be on. But but future guests and Connor, seriously, just take a breath and you know, just just relax. <laughs> know that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, when I listen to the episodes over, I really I say like 
so much and it's got to be a pain to like yeah. edit but well many people do Connor, but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I guess true. like and um and uh and all of those vocal crutches people rely on it's fine to say them because i can chop it right out it's no big deal it's when they run into a word that it gets really hard. So a lot of people will be like, okay. but, um, and it's like, right. okay, could you please separate that? But from the, um, cause like, it's real hard to get the, um, out of there once they're connected. <laughs> what was that new verbal tick that you guys were talking about the other day? Yeah. Kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are saying kind of now, Connor, you actually do say it quite a bit, it's the but thing. you're not the, you're not the only one. <laughs> a lot of people say it. They say, yeah. can you, kind of tell us what it was like to be an archaeologist. No, I'm not going to kind of tell you. I'm actually going to tell you. And it's a weird it's a weird vocal crutch that I've noticed, not just with other hosts on the APN that we edit, but other professional... I, I mean, I, I edit other podcasts and they say it too. And it's becoming like a thing, right? Where people just say kind of. And it's it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know where that's coming from. And on, and on that point, we're going to kind of go to the next segment. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is episode 36 of uh, Life in Ruins podcast. The roast of Connor Johnnan will be on the next season. See you on the next segment. Kind of. Welcome back to episode 36 of Life in Ruins podcast with our overlords, uh, Chris and Rachel Roden and uh, Chris Webster. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot your you name for a second. <laughs> You can call him Chris Roden if you want. Okay, Chris Roden. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, Chris and Rachel. So you guys have recently uh, took up the millennial lifestyle and are, are traveling the country <laughs> in, a, in a traveling RV. Is that what it is? Or is it a van or is it RV? It's an RV. converted bus. Okay. Do you have like a YouTube channel where you like talk about like your lifestyle, like living in there? Or like, can, can you discuss about it with us? Yeah, our our YouTube channel name. First off, I feel like I need to explain that real quick. It's Roadster Adventures, and it's an it's the O with the little line over the top of it. And <laughs> the the reason for that is because if there wasn't there, it would be Rodster Adventures because it's R O D. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a combination of our last names because when Rachel decided to dishonor me by not taking my last name, well, we there it is. We actually no ten, <laughs> ten years oh in God. ten years what? in, and it's still a thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I actually don't care. I, I don't want I people to get hate care. mail from all the feminists that listen to Ooh. this podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. That's right. No, I uh, no, I actually don't care. But we are. It's funny because our families and it's really kind of Rachel's family that when we get like a Christmas card or something, it says it says like Mr. and Mrs. Chris Webster or Chris and Rachel Webster. Like they just, they just can't wrap their heads around the fact that she didn't take our last name. So we started calling ourselves the roadsters, Roden Webster roadster. So that's where the YouTube channel is roadster adventures. And that's where that comes from. So I was fantastic. joking. You actually have a YouTube channel. Oh yeah. Surely do. I was like, wait, is David onto something that I didn't know about? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking it up uh, right now, and there yeah, is a little umlaut over the O. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> yeah, we've got Instagram, we've got a Facebook page, and we've got the Roadster Adventures. Um, and I see channel. Caleb Welch follows you. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Caleb. <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> we decided, you know, when we decided to do this, we're like, you know, we. I mean, we do a lot of things like you guys know. I mean, you guys are archaeologists. You, you travel around, even if 
even if you just stay at home and record podcasts uh, poorly like Connor, you still have a lot of adventures, right? You still do Jesus. stuff. So. Um, but, uh, the shade. The shade. Could you answer the question? Could you answer the question? That's right. That's right. So anyway, no, I mean, we decided if we're going to go live in an RV, I mean, our, our intent wasn't to just live in an RV to start a YouTube channel. We decided if we're going to do this, let's go ahead and start it. We actually started the YouTube channel back in, I think, February or March, right about right before the pandemic hit, I think, actually, because I remember our first video was us. We were walking down to a restaurant. So I, Rachel, that must have been back in February or Mar- early March before the pandemic, because we wouldn't have been able to do that. And we're like, let's just start this channel now before we even decided we have been thinking about doing something like this for a long time. And then Rachel, like she said in the right, earlier right, segment, right. quit her job. And, uh, I hear somebody listening to our YouTube channel right now. Yeah. But, I'm hitting uh, that like button real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Don't worry guys. I'll anyway, edit it out. <laughs> I know. I know. But anyway, so we had, uh, we just decided to start, start recording just the things that we do, bought a few GoPro cameras and just decided to start doing that. And then honestly, just, it was the right timing for the RV that we ended up finding. It's not a converted bus. It's a 2015 holiday Rambler vacationer. And it's, um, this actually, I think episodes 18 and 19 are our walkthrough with the, um, with the company that we bought it from, they give you like this three hour walkthrough on how to do all the systems and stuff on your RV. I recorded it just so I could remember everything. And then we dropped those in case it would be helpful to somebody. But yeah, we have a ton of recorded content just from the stuff we've done. Um, I'm having a hard time finding time to edit that content, but otherwise, yeah, that's where we're at. So, and I just got the notification for a new subscriber. Thank you, David. You know. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> He's Never hit that sub button so fast. <laughs> so, are, are there drawbacks, kind of advantages to being highly mobile for you two? You see how concise that was? That was <laughs> kind of. It was great. It was great. It was perfect. No, I mean, the drawbacks are exactly what you would think they are. It's really hard to get good internet sometimes. So like the situation that we're in right now, we're both tethered to our separate cell phones because the only way we can get our computers to work is through our, you know, AT&T signal. So there's that. There's also the whole like getting from point A to point B. So that can be really stressful sometimes. More for me than Chris, apparently. But, you know, he just gets behind the wheel of this thing and it's 36 feet long. It's a full on bus. And he just gets behind the wheel of it and just starts driving like what? Just cool. I got this. That would scare me. I haven't driven it yet. Aren't they? (laughs) You just got to plan for the corners. You just got to plan for the corners. They're not that hard. (laughs) There. There you go. No, no but um, the, the positives yeah. far outweigh it, though, because we're yeah. like last weekend, we were in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We literally went to see Kitty Hawk National Memorial and we went to a bunch of the lighthouses and we were just, you know, walking along the beach in the Outer Banks. And now we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting my family. We're just able to go to all these places where we couldn't take the time to do all these things. Like we couldn't take a little trip out to the Outer Banks when we were visiting my family in the past. But this time, you know. Sure. Go on. Two weeks. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best part. You know, even though, and and we're staying smart about it because we understand that there's a pandemic on, but you can also, now that we're beyond 
now that, I mean, things are probably going to change this winter because we're recording this in, you know, pre 21, but things are probably really bad as you're hearing this podcast right now, because that's just the way things are going. But we're still, <laughs> even if we moved from park to park and we didn't actually leave the RV, I'll tell you what, I'll take it. Right. Because I can sit outside the RV. I can look outside the window. I haven't, I, I usually, when we're not stationary somewhere, like we are here for a couple of months, we actually have a private office in a building down in Charlotte that we've rented for a couple of months just because we're going to be here until for like two months. And when we're not doing that, though, I set up the passenger seat of the RV as my office. I have my microphone there for podcasting. I have a screen behind me so my my calls can't because I do Zoom calls all day long. So they can't see into basically our living room and our kitchen. It's it's nice because, like I said, even if we never left the RV and we're moving around every two to three weeks, which is pretty typical, the scenery is changing out my office window. You know what I mean? It's changing out the living room window. And that's, uh, that's an amazing concept because we can still go places, get groceries delivered, get food delivered if we want. It's just our surroundings are changing. And that's amazing to me. And it'll be even better when we're able to do a lot more things when we go back to whatever normal is going to end up being. So you have an interesting patch choice model, it seems, but like you're foraging radius how do you get things like shipped <laughs> to your house like uh, amazon and stuff oh. like, how does that work? yeah how do you develop yeah, your uh, least least path cost analysis in determining <laughs> yeah. uh your your settlement patterns actually living in an rv is the highest cost path analysis that's what that is it's um it's not as not as cheap as one would think but uh most parks actually most rv parks which is typically where we stay these at least right now we're going to be doing a lot more what they call boondocking which is just staying off in like blm land on your own probably this coming spring and summer if all goes to plan but Anyway, when you're staying in a park, a lot of parks won't even allow deliveries. And if you need a signature, forget about it. They're just not going to do it, right? And and a lot of times, depending on the park, like the delivery people, whether it's FedEx or UPS, whatever, they won't even like come into your spot. Like sometimes they will. We had that happen one time actually out in Nevada. The guy came all the way up to our spot to have something delivered. And we, we actually were able to get stuff delivered there anyway. But like, for example, the world is is really expanding and the Amazon, like if you, if you get something from Amazon in particular, for the first time at the Outer Banks RV park we were at last week, I had a few things delivered to an Amazon locker. And that's pretty cool. If you just look up Amazon locker as your shipping option, there are locations around most cities. And there were two within probably 20 minutes of us at this really kind of small town area, which I was surprised to see. And, um, and I mean, I had to drive and go get it, but I was still able to have stuff shipped in to the Amazon locker location, but having mail and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, we haven't really, we haven't really had time to really deal with that stuff. Cause we have a mailing address in Reno, our house is rented, but we have a mailing address there. And, um, every once in a while we have to have like a big bulk thing, a mail shipped that we didn't have them destroy for us. And, you know, so far we've been working it out, but it's, it's definitely tough. I did not know about Amazon lockers. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be good, I think, for us. There's also the general delivery option. So we do have a mailbox in Reno where all of our mail is getting forwarded to right now. And then if we're like right now, we're near my family, so I can just have stuff shipped to my family's house. But once we're away from here, having stuff sent general delivery to the nearest post office is going to probably be the way to go. And I think I know we use that when we were traveling archaeologists too. I think that's a pretty common thing mm -hmm. for archaeologists to rely on when they're traveling for work and they need to get mail somehow. So general delivery, that will be very useful to us in the future. 
Yeah, that's that's like the other thing about all this too. Like people say, well, how can you do that? How can you live on the road? I'm like, listen, we were archaeologists for a long time. And and honestly, when we first got together and and she got me on that job down in South Carolina, it was only what a year, year and a half later before I, I mean, I don't know how long you'd have stayed there, Rachel, but I was like, screw shovel tests. Like, I do not want to do this anymore in the Southeast. I hate shovel testing. Oh, and it was so, miserable. Oh, it was miserable. Yeah. So instead of doing that for the rest of our lives, we started looking at jobs out West where it's pedestrian survey largely in a lot of places out West. And, but you can't just go work out West, right? Like um, there's very few jobs that will just hire you without experience in the area. So we sold all our stuff. Well, we didn't sell anything. We sold our cars, bought a forerunner. And so we could share that and camp out of it and live in it and put all of our stuff in storage and shovel bummed our way across the United States for a year without having a place to live. Like we didn't have a house. Everything was in storage. And we basically lived in hotel rooms and tents until we got to the West doing projects in adjacent states. We went from Ohio, shot all the way over to New Mexico, up to Nevada, and and eventually landed in Nevada and just kind of stayed there. And that's how we did it. So we've spent many, many hours together working on the same projects, living in the same tent or hotel room or whatever, way before we ever decided to get into an RV. So people are like, oh, I, how do you live in such close quarters? And I was like, I mean, it's just business as usual for us, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, and I yeah. think that's that's one of the coolest things I've realized is, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of folks who are in CRM and, you know, mm-hmm. the couples that live together and kind of had this nomadic lifestyle are like some of the strongest couples that I've actually met. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see that, you know, kind of happen. You, you have to like you're not going to make it as a couple if you can't handle living in a very small space together, it it just is what it is. Like when we were shovel bumming, we would have companies hire us specifically because they could cram us into one hotel room together. It was like a money saving measure for them. So mm-hmm. we got very used to being in small space together and you know, it works. I've got my back bedroom here where I can escape <laughs> him, but <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And, and, you know, noise canceling headphones will save your marriage. I'm just oh saying. Oh, my God. But, uh, so truth right there. I also heard that uh, two toilets will save a marriage. Oh, well, we've only got one on this. So hopefully. Yeah. We had two, went down to one. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But, you know, we've all seen that on CRM projects, right? Like there's no middle ground either for couples living together. They either, like Connor said, are some of the strongest couples or they explode in a ball of flames at three o'clock in the morning when one of them rage quits and leaves. Right. Like, I think I feel like we've all seen that. So, um, yeah, it's it's one or the other. It seems I don't know how Carlton's doing. Uh, I mean, I only did like one one or two CRM <laughs> projects. He's an ivory tower, Felk. That's, no, that's that's not true. I did that's I did true. my time, and I did not like doing shovel tests in the southeast, and it only affirmed my <laughs> desire not to do that sort of labor for anyone but myself in my own yeah, research. That's fair. <laughs> I think I think shovel testing in the southeast has spawned more advanced degrees than literally anything else in archaeology, because it's like I need to get out of this crap right now. I think a master's degree will solve that. Nope, I'm going to get a PhD instead. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Shout out to Laura Cannon. (laughs) (laughs) 
if, if all goes belly up, I'm just going to do survey for Paleo West out of out of Longmont here and just avoid the Southeast for the rest of my life. I have no intention of going back to Virginia. Not in the slightest. Yeah. It's a yeah. terrible Alpine place. Don't better. do it. Alpine is better. <laughs> Alpine is better. Yeah. Would you be able to get me a job, Connor? Like, what, would I move? Could I move to Montrose? Could you hire me? I wouldn't hire you. You wouldn't you, get but, any uh, work done. Yeah, I wouldn't hire you, but I would... <laughs> The people around me might hire you. Actually, I'll, I'll keep that in the, I'll get that ready for graduation in 2022. That's right. That's right. Connor, when I mentioned I worked in Colorado, you know, have I told you before it was Alpine that I worked for when I did that one yeah. month project in Colorado? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we out, I feel like we also almost redid that project recently. Because you know, <laughs> <That wouldn't surprise laughs> because, because it's and that's just like what we do is that we just keep keep redoing these projects. Oh my god, I'm so succinct. I'm so succinct. It's beautiful. <laughs> kind of. it's <laughs> part of my dissolution with CRM when I worked for Swicka. Like, not only was I like. I don't want to dig negative shovel tests in the desert for the rest of my life. <laughs> and then it just dumped snow on me after it was like sunny all day, like literally sunny all day. And then in three minutes, it just us clouds came in and dumped snow on me while I was in that depressed mood. <laughs> and I was like, all right, guess I'm making an Instagram. But <laughs> we went to like <laughs> all these different sites that like had been dug and already surveyed and excavated 10 years before. And they're like, well, we're doing it again. And I was like, why? That was, yeah, that was what we just did too. That project that I was doing for Dig Tech for Chris, like we didn't find anything new on the entire project. The only sites we found were the ones that had been previously recorded. And I'm like, why am I here right now? Why am I here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's like kind of like taxpayer money in a way, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was working for a gold mine. So that was gold mine money. That was Canada money right there. Yeah. 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 Nope, that's that's didn't that's feel, free money. Yeah, it didn't feel bad about that part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Where uh where's your next location? Where are you guys going next? Man, we don't really have plans right now. We we wanna spend most of the cold winter months, January, February, March, in mm. Florida, but we don't have a location yet. So hopefully we'll be down there, but we don't know where yet. And we did uh, apply for tickets through our senators for the inauguration. So since we're on the East Coast and we're highly mobile and we have this RV park until early January, we figured, well, instead of going straight to Florida, we could always go to D.C. for a couple of weeks. And if we get to see the inauguration, great. If we get to see them drag the Cheeto out by his by his short and curlies, that'd be awesome, too. (laughs) Um, If we get to see (laughs) just some museums and stuff and Carlton's cousin, that would be fantastic. So, you know, either way, I think it's going to be a good time. And then we'll go to Florida. Yeah, might if you guys end up going to DC, let me know. That's where I'm going to be over break, and uh, I'm working on watching the inauguration from the balcony of the American Indian Museum in DC. Oh no my. way! I won't need tickets. I'm just using those familial, <laughs> familial gold <laughs> tickets to, yeah. to get me up there. So we'll you we'll can, see. You, you can just chalk us up for two more. Well, when, I'm just going to say we're going to be there. I'll bring the bourbon. Stay warm. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you, Chris and Rachel, for being on the podcast. Chris, you don't have to answer this. You already answered this, and you said you wouldn't start the APN over again because you hate the APN and everything it does with it. Um, Rachel. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. 
<laughs> Rachel, if um, if you had the opportunity again, would you choose to live a life in ruins and possibly in an RV with Chris Webster? Oh, so many layers to that question. It wasn't an immediate let's, yes. Let's let's just go with yes. Let's just <laughs> let's Sounds just go good. with yes. yes. Well, well, everyone, it's time to hit the old dusty trail. So we just interviewed Chris Webster and Rachel Roden, our editors at the Archaeology Podcast Network, and a godsend for editing our voices into something palatable and doesn't make your ears bleed. So with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. These are dad jokes featured from my father, Dean Johnnen. So these are actual dad jokes. Why didn't the astronaut come home to his wife? <laughs> Why? <laughs> He needed his space. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh, <my>. So bad. <laughs> All right, we're done. So bad. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster and by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.